This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. Part of the Paramount Podcast Network. Monday, September 12th. Neil Brown, still the head coach at West Virginia. Will be quite some time. The seat, though, quite warm now. Chris Anderson. We knew this Saturday evening, yesterday. You maybe hope that people take a step back, catch their breath, walk the dog, go on a hike. Not necessarily what happened. The situation perhaps exacerbated by Nebraska deciding to fire its head coach. Parallels maybe exist. Others do not. I do find that's a dynamic that's going to stir this drink a little bit quicker than it was already. But here we are two days later and then really two weeks from a game that that could mean a lot or may ultimately mean nothing for Neil Brown. Odd times in Morgantown. Very odd. Very odd. I'm trying to think of the last time it's happened and I don't think it's happened since I've been doing this. I've been doing this since 2010, 2011. You've been doing it longer than me. So you, you, you have a little more experience. I mean, in general, but you have more experience with this angle than I do. Um, but you know, we always talk about some of these other guys like in the industry when we talk to guys on the network and how they're going through coaching changes. I mean, our Tennessee guys, I think, went through like four coaching changes in six years, it felt like. But as far as West Virginia's goes, you know, what what has been my experience with a bad season? There was what was that 2013 mm-hmm. with, with Dana? That's that's been about it. I mean, there's been a lot of mediocre seasons, disappointing seasons, but not just flat out. Oh, my God, what's happening? Uh, except for 2013, and I think that was kind of expected uh, with the whole quarterback carousel before the year, and it was like, that never works. Um, but And then the coach, even when it came down to Dana leaving, the coaching search lasted, what, what did we say, four days, five days, mm-hmm. and, and then it was done. So this is not new territory for us, but certainly, um, as, you met, as you noted, strange days in Morgantown, Morgantown strange days for WVU. Uh, fans, who, uh, an entire generation probably hasn't had to deal with something like this before. Let me just give you like a quick um, run through on these situations here. For one, if I don't know, I've written about this, talked about this before. One of my favorite things in sports is watching a coach lose it. Like you just know that it's going to go bad before it ever gets better. And then you see things that happen. Like I remember one famously was when Brady Hoke was in trouble at Michigan and, like, he sent his quarterback out there concussed. That's unfortunate. Don't get me wrong. But you're just like, what in the world? And you can just tell that guys lose grip on everything because their their world is crumbling in around them. Um, I don't know that that's happening here yet. They lost to Kansas. And they're 0-2, but they lost to a ranked pit team before that. It's not good. Listen, if you haven't been 0-2 since before the stadium you play in was built, that's not good. But when coaches are on the hot seat, they begin to act differently um their players hear the noise and frequently a, a team is just going to give up and obviously two games in that hasn't happened yet to think that it's like completely finished already there may be warning signs i think you can match up some things that you've seen and heard and just like maybe a, a history of three plus seasons now that i don't know would overlap with coaches who've lost their jobs um this to me is is there are there are a lot of comps to the end for Bill Stewart when he was in charge here, except he was winning nine games. 
I don't know if they're going to get the nine games this year, which means that Brown hasn't been to nine games ever uh, as the West Virginia coach. So I'm not even sure that's a good parallel. My point being is like past is prolonged, people like to say, maybe not necessarily here. Um, I do know that like people were really ready to cut on Bill Stewart fast because of the Colorado and East Carolina losses. And this is a team that was on the, the cusp of a national title. He takes over and all of a sudden it didn't take long for things to go bad quickly for them. I don't know if that fits here. So maybe the most recent time that West Virginia has been through it is not the most useful comparison point here. Um, so much has changed. The decision makers, the money involved, the urgency perhaps to make a change, the entire coaching market. There's so much urgency now, too, that you do see a program like Nebraska make a move. Um, you and I were talking, Chris. It doesn't make a lot of sense to make a move right now. And also, People are going to hate this, but like they're not so far away from being one and one, or I don't know, even two and zero. Oh. Trouble is that a lot of the problems that cost them one or both those games have been problems for a couple of years, and the solutions that you might need to get yourself out of this are not things they've been able to summons before, or perhaps were able supposed to summons before this season started, and it doesn't seem like it's there too. So while it is early, this could be a long road. Could be a very long road. Um... Yeah, like you said, you and I were talking right before we got on here about questions of people saying, why why isn't West Virginia going ahead and firing? And, and we talked about it immediately after the game on the podcast that it, what's the point right now? What's going to happen right now? Who are you going to put in charge? You're still paying the money no matter what for the rest of the year. You're still, pay, you're still paying the same amount to Neil Brown if you fire him right now, if you fire him six weeks from now, if you fire him a year from now. So money's not the issue. Um, it's a question of what's best for the program this year and in the future. You cut ties right now. Again, one, who are you putting in charge? Um, a lot of questions around that. I threw out the, uh, the thing, the candidates, uh, you know, Chad Scott, um, Matt Moore, I think both have elevated titles in their names. Uh, coordinators are Graham Harrell, who just got here a few months ago. Uh, Jordan Leslie, uh, you know, Jordan Leslie, I think might have been the most likely candidate if you had asked me two months ago. Like if, if Neil Brown had to step away for whatever reason, who would step in? He might have been somebody I would have seriously considered. But now the defense is the problem. Do you put the guy who's in charge of the problem in charge of the whole team? I don't – that might not sit well with a lot of people. So it's going to be a process. It's not going to be something that's resolved in the next 48 hours. I think it's going to be something that's it's going to take – couple weeks, couple months as they try to fill this out and figure out what's going on. Yeah. So be careful. You got to really watch where you step when you're trying to get information here. Be careful who you trust, who you listen to, who you read, who you watch, um, because people are going to try to get a, um, a foot in the door here, the information and, and leverage the situation toward themselves here. And the reality is that you're probably going to hear a lot of stuff and there might be degrees of truth. Some of it, there could be things going on, who knows, but for the time being, I would, be very surprised. Well, one, I'd be surprised if you heard anything from West Virginia. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that, but you might have to just accept that too, because the best thing they can do is try to remember it is two out of 12. And the only way they salvage this is to try to get it together and win. And you'd rather fail trying than fail abandoning. I think there's probably a, some, some logic to that. You, know, you could fail because, hey, we gave it a shot. And for every reason you just make, Chris, it, it financially doesn't give you any advantage or even strategically it doesn't give you any advantage to go out and make a change right now or after two more losses. Who knows? But you can redeem this somehow. I mean, you can get yourself to a bowl game. You could pull off some sort of run. All of a sudden, cooler heads prevail and the team does better. We'll see. Um, I think we know what we're going to talk about today in the, the Q&A portion of our podcast Chris probably no reason for us to continue on here um what do you say that you ask some tough questions Chris yeah I'll get started I'm gonna go quick fire because did you, did you see the comment on Twitter uh after the game I mean there are a million probably not so probably not but I asked everybody on Twitter how long should you and I shoot for the post game podcast and one response was aim for 30 minutes then decide to cut yourselves off at 45. And that person listens to the pod. He knows what we're like. <laughs> so uh, we're not shooting for 30. We might not cut at 45, but let's get started. And I'm going to start us with quick fire. And Mike, I'm going to, I'm, 
these these are going to be legit quick fire. All right. You you, you got to answer quickly, or if you don't want to answer, you or I I chime in and answer it as well. We'll try to make it short, like you know, a couple sentences a piece or something like that, thirty seconds a piece, because I got a handful of quick fire, and then we got a handful that you know we'll go a little deeper on, because um, not surprisingly, um, I think last week set the record for most questions asked in the post-game Q&A, and then this week broke it. So here we go. Uh, first question of the quick fire from 23 years. Did the way in which Brown commented on slash praised Kansas leading up to the game come across as preemptive excuse-making to you? In hindsight, it looks bad. Combine that with that video from the office when they had lost a pit and they were like, yeah, we're good, by the way, don't give up. That's unnerving. Um, I just thought that the praise was over the top for a team that's supposed to be better and, and able to handle itself. Um, so, yeah, that concerns me. I I am originally chalked it up as, yeah, he, he says something nice about every single team, but it did seem a little over the top for Kansas at the time. So, yeah, By the way, very accurate, though. Yeah. Yes. Um, Wicked Jester, over under 20,000 fans in the stands next week against Towson. Over. Baltimore is a short car ride, and the Tigers are 2-0. Over as well. I believe the lowest home attendance, at least I was going back year by year trying to check, was 31, 32,000, and that was at the tail end of the uh, of a bad year against, I think that was 2013, and it was against Iowa State, I think, at home, um, and that was 31,000. I know that's Iowa State, and this is Towson, but I think you're going to get somewhere probably around that number. I think the question is, is it going to be over under 30,000 might be more uh, a tougher line to pick here. That's bad, by the way. That's, I mean, <sighs> just that, that's bad. Rapid fire. I know, but that's bad. If they're under 40, that's bad. Yes. We can, we can extend it a little bit. I mean, if you're going, if you're announcing, announcing half capacity, it, it, that's bad. Like, I, I don't know any other way to put it. Like you can't, because I think we all know that sometimes the numbers that are announced may be a little bit inflated. Uh, some places inflate more than others, but I think West Virginia does usually does a pretty decent job of getting accurate numbers released for attendance. Um, what they say, fifty-two thousand for the Kansas game. Uh, you know, they didn't try to inflate it and say it was a sellout. Uh, but if they announce thirty thousand, twenty-nine thousand, that's things are tough. Right there. Yeah, that's a metric that's used for sure. The the attendance, the spikes, the drops, season tickets, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, if a week three before September is ever you're getting half your stadium full, it's it's hard to fill it back up. Yeah. West Virginia Rugger, would you recommend golf or hiking as alternative to watching West Virginia football this fall? Must pick one. I'm a twenty handicap with one new hip and the other is a banana peel. Mike? Personally, hiking because golf would make me as mad as watching my team lose. That's a good point. I was about to say I was felt like the answer was definitively golf because you're still basically doing the hiking, except you also have a sport. But yeah, then you're just going to make your you're trying to avoid being angry, and then you're just going to go out there and make yourself angry. So maybe Mike's already convinced me to change my mind. So yeah. good quick fire answer, Mike. Um, Tater three one six. At that moment in time, did you think Kansas should have gone for it on fourth and one with three minutes left instead of punting? Yeah, so I was on my way to the media room, and I was listening to the uh, the ESPN Plus, which was a treat, by the way. Um, it got very frantic on the air, it sounded like, including um, <laughs> West Virginia scoring a touchdown. They're down by two, and the woman goes, do they have to go for two here? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, and I and I felt like, daggone, I can't believe that tweets out there from me because for the first quarter, uh, Forrest Connolly was the um, analyst, yeah. uh, former lineman for Florida State, and he had some great stuff in there early on with some of the plays that were going on, and I was like, man, we need more offensive linemen as analysts. I feel like he's bringing a different perspective than the typical quarterback look at this game, and that was his peak about five minutes into the first quarter. Because okay. once we got into that fourth quarter and the conversations you're talking about right now, I was I was like, man, that was a bad, bad, bad take by me from the first quarter. 
Yeah, and I, I didn't mean to be derogatory by saying the woman. I just cannot remember her name. Um, but she said definitely. Do they need to go for two here? Yeah, they do. Um, so anyhow, I'm gonna weigh down. It's fourth, whatever. And then I'm like, well, what they'll probably do is try to draw them off. But I have seen Kansas do the try to draw them off, go for it. And I thought that was the play. And if I heard it correctly, they tried to do that. Yeah. And ended up calling the timeout. Um, if it was a seven point game, I'm probably going for it. You're asking West Virginia to make a bunch of plays to set up a situation to make another play. So you got to make a bunch of plays to score a touchdown and then go for two. Um, I would have probably kicked it because um, it, it just a lot has to go right. And, and you're saying, let's, if you can, great. And then we have overtime at the very least. And that defense for West Virginia had not been able to stop Kansas. So I understand the calculation there. I would just probably rather punt it. Um, and I'm the guy who thought Neil Brown probably should have gone for it against Pitt. But I can certainly understand why he didn't. Um, I can understand because Lance Leopold won why he punted it. But um, I kind of thought they wouldn't, and I was okay with that. Uh, I'm going for it uh, for the same yeah. reasons I think West Virginia should have gone for it. I think, you know, again, you make it, game's over, period. End of story. There's no questions. There's no doubts. Um, you don't make it. West Virginia has to do the same thing that you they have to do when you punt, except just a little bit shorter field. They still have to go down. They still have to score a touchdown. They still have to get the two-point conversion just to tie it. Um, and, yeah, you're right. They did uh, do the, oh, we're trying to draw you off sides. Okay, let's start walking towards the sideline. And then Daniel sprinted back up under center like he was going to sneak it at the last second of the play clock. And that seemed – it was like, oh, man, he's going to QB sneak it. But it was also just another – push to try to get West Virginia to jump off sides and, and kudos to West Virginia's defense for something. Um, not jumping there. You know, uh, as I, as you talk me through this now and I listen to myself and, and I kind of reviews my head, I, I would have gone for it for all the, because everything this, I just this said, is eight your, points. this is your thing. What, what makes the other team the most uncomfortable? Yeah, I what think so. I think you're right. Not there. want you to do. I think you're right there. Um, maybe I impressed myself so much by expecting the, the fake, the fake false start and then go for it thing. But no, nah, the more I think about it now, I probably definitely would have gone for it because the shorter field's only difference and at least to get the ball back with a chance to do something. Yeah. Uh, next quick fire, J Carr 304. If West Virginia played Tech, Texas, or Baylor yesterday, would Charles Wood, Woods have played? Was he healthy enough to play in a, quote, big game? This would be very rapid. No. And I don't, I'm not certain you'll see him soon either. Absolutely not. He would not have played, no matter who the opponent was. Uh, I don't have much more to add to that right now, but the answer is no. Uh, next quick fire, Duffy95. What are some good whiskeys to drink? The sorrow away until the season is over. Whiskeys. With some Sprite Zero? No. See, I didn't know we were doing this one here. I thought this was a uh, family podcast, so I didn't really <laughs> research this one here. There's a lot that you can get into. Um, boy, are we going bourbons or just whiskeys? Bourbons usually what we talk about, right? Uh, yeah, usually bourbons are a thing, but I guess we just any kind of brown, brown drink. Is that a play on words? <laughs> I'm not. You know, I'm not that clever. Brown, brown liquids, so on and so forth. Um, hmm. Where would you go here for the best whiskeys you can get yourself into? This might have to be a written portion, Chris. We'll save it for the written portion. I'll, I'll put it back in there. I'll give my recommendations and the proper Sprite Zero and Diet Dr. Pepper matches. Um, like a what's it? What's it called? The guy that's the wine specialist that knows how to pair. Sommelier. Yeah, I'll know how to pair all the best brown drinks with all the best sodas. For you i know everybody loves it when i do that there was a uh, a bottle of pikesville pretty sure it's, yeah it's not bourbon pikesville that was at my house not long ago it's whiskey um very good top of my head uh again not a straight whiskey guy myself but i do know i had that and it, it stuck in my head as we have this conversation now so it must have been good Moving on to the next question, maybe a little, we're transitioning into the longer question, so this one can be a little longer than quickfire, but Hair Raid asks, why does Neil Brown have a higher buyout at WVU in year four than Scott Frost does at Nebraska? I do not know. Um, okay, that's sufficient enough answer, I guess. Just, 
I mean, every AD is going to do these things differently. There's no industry standard. Um, at the same school, you're going to have head coaches for different sports. The contract negotiated by the same coach is going to be different. Um, agents are able to leverage certain things for certain purposes. Brown's got a good agent. Um, a lot of college head coaches have him, including like Dabo Swinney, who just got a great new deal. Um, his agent is is well regarded, so good for him. That might be what he does when he goes into rooms and says, hey, it starts here. Um, this is one of my clients. This is what we do. And it could have been as simple as that. Um, I do not know his agent's history of contacts with their schools. I could probably look into that. It may be relevant. But sometimes it's just a, it's a, a template that an agent brings in and says, here's what we want to start. Or here's how the, the buyout's going to work. Manipulate the numbers, but you're not going to manipulate the foundation. Um, Shane Lyons might have been okay with it. It might have been Shane Lyons' idea, for all I know. Lots of questions that have to be answered there, I think, if it does indeed become relevant. But the the one school or the other one coach or their comparison is difficult to make because, again, there's no there's no standard out there. It's not like a, um, not like a rookie-scale contract in a league where everybody at a certain time in their careers or a certain age or a certain level of experience or success gets a requisite contract. It's not like that. So the variables create conversations like this. Next question, another medium length question. Why do you think, to quote JT Daniels, dumb seems to happen at the worst possible times with this team? It happens to everyone and every team every once in a while, but we are consistently dumb. I don't get it. Coaching priorities in the wrong place. Crazy run of bad luck. Jay Cart, 304. It's not bad luck. Not. I mean, college football does stuff, sure. But the the best answer is just discipline. It just is. And it doesn't mean that a coach doesn't stress discipline. And it doesn't mean the players don't know to do certain things. But there comes a point where, listen, this is unfair in that he is going to get named here for a game that featured him for such a small, small segment. But. You're Traylon Davis. You're the third tight end for like a possible number of plays of maybe five in a game, right? Like maybe, maybe there's five plays in the entire playbook that require you, require you. Um, and one of them pops up. You cannot flinch. You just cannot. Like your job as the as the person there, the 11th player on the field, the third tight end, is to block, and you absolutely cannot go in reverse. And he did, and that's a bummer. Um, you're the backup right tackle, and you're out there because the starter – well, the starter is next to you, but the starting right guard is on the sideline because he can't play. Um, yeah, you got to block the edge and you got to make sure the pocket doesn't collapse and you got to pull on certain plays and pin on the other, all that stuff, right? But when your team has it going and you're near the goal line, you can't flinch, right? When you're Parker Growthhouse and you're on scholarship and your job is to kick into the end zone, you got momentum and you got to make your defense a little bit better than it is by giving a good field position, you can't kick it out of bounds. Like, so just discipline things like you've got to do the stuff that you know you're supposed to do. And, it, and it's so sports writer. I know that. But is it bad luck that those things happen? That's the worst luck in the world then because it's happened this entire time. Like we talk about this a bunch, like a bunch. Like people get mad at us because we talk about two minute drills and end of half or timeouts after kickoffs and all that stuff. Discipline's on the sideline, too. And listen, you saw it again. I mean, they have the back to back penalties because they have a false start and they got to delay a game. It doesn't hurt them. They still make the field goal. They're five yards further back. Um, I'm sure you can make a compelling point that that was an intentional delay of game to give the kicker a better angle on the field goal. Whatever. But it was just confusing the sideline because they couldn't get things communicated and organized quickly enough to not get a delay of game penalty. You're not going to burn a timeout there. It would have been really bad if they burned a timeout. That would have been panicky to me. But you could go back and look at close losses. And Brown said turnovers. Sure. Um, that puts a whole lot on Reese Smith and JT Daniels when a lot of the things that didn't have to happen happened. Um, it's maybe an easy answer, but I think it's a very obvious answer in that the stuff that you know you're not supposed to do and that most of the time doesn't happen, when you're in those big situations, listen, you catch the ball, it doesn't fly through your fingers. You hit the open receiver in the end zone. You don't look at him and then pat the ball and go somewhere else. You don't jump, you don't flinch, you don't kick out of bounds. Like You have to have the discipline to make the difference in a positive way in those situations. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, there's a couple things I want to talk about here. One is is the penalty part of this. Uh, first off, last year, what if I told you that West Virginia was in the top 25 fewest penalty yards per game last year? Like, so it's not a, a, a trend, hmm. you know, it, it shocked me too. I thought I recalled a little more than that, but West Virginia had 43.2 penalty yards per game in the year 2021, which ranked 23rd in the nation this year, obviously like a lot worse. It's only two games, so you know, but they're 118th out of 130 teams in penalties per game. The problem with so many of these penalties, and it goes back to last year, it goes to this year, this year, obviously it's, it's pretty easy to kind of point to them. Last year, don't have it off the top of my head. We can go back and look, but I don't know if I need to go back and do all the research like I did for the timeout thing, which went over so so very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but think about the penalties that West Virginia had in these games. False start, uh, you know, first and goal to five. False start, fourth and goal from the one-foot line. Um, the roughing the passer. After the, 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 these are mental mistakes. These aren't. I was blocking someone 10 yards downfield and accidentally my hand went, my right hand went six inches to the right and got outside his shoulder pad. So they caught holding. This isn't, I jumped a split second too early to break up a pass and they called pass interference. This is just mental, mental mistakes that are happening with this West Virginia football team. And, and yeah, that raises questions. Why, why is it happening? And some of them, and related to and specifically looking at this Traylon Davis play, you know, he's only there for a handful of plays. You can't mess up on a handful of plays. My counter here is why in the most key positions, the key parts of the game, the key plays of the game, are you bringing in a redshirt freshman that has not played a single snap all game? He didn't play a single snap all game. Yeah. You go look, because 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 that was a false start, that does not technically count as a play. He is officially credited, despite being called for a false start, as not playing in that game right now. Now, I think the NCAA put him down as a participant because he got whistled for that, but he officially has zero snaps in that game. That was the only time he stepped on the field, um, according to Pro Football Focus. And... 
that kind of takes me to a thing of, of if, if you go back and look, how often is this happening where it's guys that are making mistakes that are coming in or in new spots or playing um, limited roles that are t- coming in in key positions? Because it was something that actually worked out last year on some plays. Um, I remember specifically we talked about Reese Smith. I think it was – was it last year or the year before where – Both. I, I think he played like 10 snaps, but like the 10 snaps in one of those games was like four – third and shorts and fourth and shorts and they were throwing to him and it's like why and again recent in the first game against Pittsburgh you know I don't think I think he was targeted once for like one yard and then he is the guy you're targeting on the final play of the game uh in this game against Kansas uh Justin Johnson the third down running back for West Virginia zero touches in the first half might have been zero snaps period at least on offense zero and then he is the guy that you're giving the ball to down two scores in the fourth quarter running the ball to your third down running back who didn't play at all in the first half. Like it, Those are the things that, you know, when, when the questions are asked, are these mental, are these bad lucks? It's, what was the old say? Was it Daryl uh, Royal? You know, luck doesn't go around looking for a stumble bum. You have to be in position for it. Um, I might have reversed that, but it, it's, you put yourself in position to have good luck or bad luck. And I feel like some of this stuff, you can call it bad luck, but West Virginia is putting themselves in a position to have bad luck. Yeah. When you create the small, small margin, you've got to be extra careful. And the team that creates that margin has not been able to manage it. Moving on to questions from Luke Zoolander 01. As you can tell, we're obviously getting to the uh, longer answer portion of the podcast. Um, Luke's got three questions here. I think uh, all three of them are, are worth answering here on the pod. Uh, so we'll go one by one. Number one, if you were a coach, actually, God, we got five, I guess, because number one has three separate parts too. So <laughs> one, one A, if you were a coach, give us your starters at corner and safety, assuming that Woods is out. Mike, you making any changes to the lineup right now? I, I, I mean, I was surprised that McCormick had the best PFF grade. Same, but I just I didn't like what I saw in the first game, and I don't like what I saw from the defense in the second game, and I just don't know what I have with Ben Wahad and Spells. I would have a hard time running McCormick out there again, um, and Ajay wasn't terrific either. Um, by the way, I did go back and I re-listened to Brown. I was in the room after the game; he was talking, but I'm also going through a lot of things in the post game. Uh, he did say that they just the players just kind of cook themselves in some of the coverages and they did not play what they were supposed to play. That's the point I brought up in the post game podcast. Like I'd be very curious to see if they were instructed to bail on third medium and give the receivers the sticks. My my point being, I suspect that was not the instructions they were given, and that's pretty much what Brown said. Stuff they never did, they did during the game. That can't happen, and like that has to come with a penalty, and that might be your starting spot. So that might be a jai, and it might be someone else in a bowl spots for me. Um, at this point. It's early enough you don't have to say what do you have to lose, but it's also early enough where you can say, what do you have to lose? Maybe you find something good. Uh, safety. Whew. <laughs> I like McLaurin a lot. Um, I've also liked Aubrey Burks a lot. I believe Burks yeah. got injured, correct? I, I don't know if he got injured, but I was thinking the same thing. I, I was surprised at his grade being just average because I thought he was solid. I thought he was very good. Uh, McLaurin. His time out there. McLaurin, you mean? Both of them are okay. right around average. I thought both were solid. Yeah, Burks and then and Floyd, Floyd, I just haven't seen it yet, I, but I can't say he's been a problem. Like Their safety play has been okay to me. They haven't tackled well, but they've had so many things spun to them because of coverage underneath that that's been a problem. Uh, I would definitely, I would certainly strongly consider changes. I would probably keep Ajay, and I would I would consider Spells or Ben Wahad at the other one right now just because I haven't seen it from, from McCormick yet, but maybe McCormick has it. One thing is, like, I don't know who practices well because we don't get to see it, and they make these decisions based on practice, which is why Alakai Ruppin started. It's not because he was oldest, right? He just probably had the best practices. So they put him in. Um, can't believe that he's going to have the best practices because I can't believe he's going to be the guy that's in the, the the lead position to get the one rep. So I think you'll see a change there. And then I would try to get McLaurin on the field more because he looks so fast, so athletic, so rangy. Um, so it, it might be him and Burks. Now, maybe it's Floyd and McLaurin. Like, they have to do some maneuvering to make that work. Um, but my, my point being, I don't know the answer, except that it wasn't what you saw the first two games. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been a, a big proponent of if one spot's not working, you have to make change. Like, you you can't sit here and play favorites for too long, or it will cost you the way that it's costing you. And 
you have guys that, you know, they are, do they have their flaws? Probably. Are they young and inexperienced? Yes. But like I said, what, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to give up 300 passing yards and lose to Kansas. It's already happened. Yep. It's already happened. So I would, I would go out there. I would give Andrew. I mean, I don't know what happened to Andrew Wilson lamp. Uh, he was the starter in the spring. Uh, he showed he long rangy looked decent. Like, you know, was, was I thinking he's going to start? No, I predicted that uh, Ajayi or McCormick would take over the starting role opposite woods. Um, but I thought he'd be part of that rotation and he has been non-existent, uh, zero defensive snaps through two games. Um, Mumu Ben Wahad, big time player out of high school, interested to see what he can do moving forward. Um, and then of course there's Jacoby spells, a four-star recruit who just dominated every single game. They had him play in an all-star game. He was excellent there. Like I get that. Hey, you know, oh, hey, he's not practicing that well or whatever the, the, the reason is put him in a game, see what happens, see what happens. Cause it, it you're never going to know until you know, until you put him out there and put him on the spot. So I, you ask me starters, all this stuff, whatever. I don't give a, like, especially against Towson start whoever the hell you want. But I think everybody needs to get some reps back there so you can try to figure out what you have. Yeah. And then look, this Towson game comes across in a, in a, a way that maybe is beneficial for them because if not Saturday, win for some of these people, like you have a chance to get some answers to some questions you really do need to ask. So again, if not Saturday, then when, uh, 1B from Luke, uh, you're too deep at wide receiver. Change anything? Well, you don't have a too deep because you don't have enough guys. <laughs> that's, that's, I was uh, going to say. So you have Wheaton and Bram at one spot, correct? Yeah. Prather and Sam James. This is backup. You have James and Aaron and Reese and James. Reese yeah. Smith and James. So I don't, I don't know. Like, they're... I don't know the depth is the issue there because like their top three guys are going to be productive and they can get enough out of Reese Smith to be, you know, a fourth. And then really Aaron and Bram are the snap fillers at five and six. So that's, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not really worried about that. Like to think they're going to play eight's ridiculous. So you need probably four, maybe five. And I think they have, they have enough to get to five by combining Bram and Aaron. Aaron might be okay too. We can continue to hear good things about him, but their, their top line is fine. It, it might be hard to stretch them out over 12 games at 70-something snaps and, like, 95% of the snaps. But, like, I would want Bryce Ford Wheaton on the field a bunch. Um, I like much more what I saw from Bray than the second game and the first game. Uh, and James may, may just kind of be who is – he might just be who he is, you know. You may not see anything splashy from him. He might run past a guy who falls down and catch a touchdown, but he might be kind of meh the rest of it. But he's he's a serviceable player there, so – Four or five, find your way there. I don't think you need a two deep there. That's not my that's not my concern on their offense or even with their performance overall so far. Same. I'm not sure I'm changing anything either. Um, what percentage of snaps for each of the running backs? CJ Mathis, John uh, Johnson. You change anything there? So you did not like the the call for Justin Johnson. I thought he ran better than Tony Mathis did, which means in two games, someone else besides Tony Mathis has impressed me as a runner. Agreed. Um, he he is not as decisive. He looks to me like a guy who wants to run like C.J. Donaldson, but decides to run like Justin Johnson. And what I mean by that is, like, he's big and he's strong and he can run through and over people, but he's really picky about trying to find the hole. And if you just put the runs over top one of another, and I've done this, like, split-screened or, or, I guess, open tabs back-to-back, the the suddenness of a C.J. Donaldson run versus a Tony Mathis run is significantly different. Like, Donaldson just gets it and goes. Like, he's... I think Mike O'Loughlin said fearless last week. And I think it's probably a good word. Like he's not worried about, he might bump into his left guard. Whoops. Oh, well, but he also might split the guard and tackle and be bearing down a linebacker. Mathis seems like he's very methodical a little bit. Um, Not like Le'Veon Bellish, but poking around trying to find the hole and then blast through it. Whereas Donaldson's just blind trust in the scheme. Just get it and go. And if you hit somebody run it over, Mathis seems like he wants to get free before he gets going a little bit. So, um, I don't know if it's 33, 33, 33. I'm still kind of leery about putting too much on Donaldson, but I don't know that why Mathis would have the, the lion's share of carries right now. The trouble is it's so hard to get three on the field and get one of them going. So I might try to roll them all in early and then just kind of go from there based on results and the first opportunity each one gets because quite likely it's going to be a different person every time. If I had to feature somebody or if I had to give somebody 
34% because you can't split 100 three ways equally. I would give Donaldson a 34 because he's been the most consistent so far for me. I know he didn't have the big splashy plays um, against a defense that's not as good, but he generally moves forward. He can do some things in the passing game. His pass protection is okay, and he's just been the best overall performer of the group so far. Um, agreed on that. Agreed on Johnson. I ag- I actually agree that Johnson looked better than Mathis. My issue is that the guy has played eight snaps in the first game, zero snaps in the first half, and then on the most critical plays of the game, he's out there and you're handing him the ball. Uh, I think that's I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know what. It's not like you don't have something there because C.J. Donaldson is obviously doing his part. Uh, he'd only played tw- C.J. Donaldson only played 21 snaps on Saturday. Uh, there were 80 snaps in all, so that means according to the snap counts here, Mathis is playing over played over half of the game. Donaldson played about a quarter, and Johnson played a little less than a quarter. Um, I'm not sure that's the split I want. 50-20-25, 50-25-25. Uh, if anything, maybe 50, 25, 25 with Donaldson getting most of them. But I agree, you can't, you just can't push, I don't think, Donaldson up to 20 carries a game. I think you start doing that, you're going to start wearing him out, and you might see his um, production slip quite yep. a bit. So yep. let's not get carried away with that. Um, next part of Luke's question What true freshman do you see is most likely for the staff to start giving? PT. I think we've kind of touched on these. He he mentioned Spells, Stokes, Lathan, or wide receiver. Um, wide receiver, no, right? Like, I think we no. both agreed on that. Spells, we both agreed, yes, maybe. Kind of, or at least maybe not agreed. I, th- I know I said it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ben Wahad's a true freshman, too. Yeah. So, Stokes, Lathan, I mean, it, I, I, linebacker is that an issue? I mean, I don't think it's been yeah. great play there, but who's he taking over for right now? Well, is he going to be better than Lee Koba? I don't know, but I'm not sure how great Lee Koba's been either. Um, yeah, I was going to say, can we talk about how, if if Lee Koba's been great? Because I don't know. Listen, it's it was very presumptuous to think that he was going to be Tony Fields. Um, like that was kind of crazy for me. Here's a guy who, who played at Syracuse, but you know, didn't Syracuse is not like monsters of the midway, right? Like if he, if he wasn't going to get out, out there more, he didn't like, he was a good special teamer and like a backup his sophomore year. But like, this is not like a great guy who had a, a monster season, went to the portal and ended up at West Virginia detoured junior college. Um, good season there. Fine. But like, it's not transferable right away. It's going to take time. So there's some learning curve here that he's certainly adjusting to, and he's got to slow down and get through it. And you can see that out there. Um, so that's that's not been great. And he's had to play every snap because they don't have a backup for him. Uh, Tyreek Austin Cave is their backup. Caden Beiser isn't getting on the field. I'm not sure that Lathan's the guy, but, like, could you put him out there and see what he can do? Again, if not Saturday, when? I don't know. So, like, again, this, this game might fall into good spots. Middle linebacker is so hard for veterans to play that I'd, I'd be really surprised if a true freshman can play it. So I don't know about that one. Corner, you can. We saw Ben Wahab. Spells has pedigree. He's supposed to. Stokes, I just don't know if he's physically there yet. It's a guy who didn't do the spring and was 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 there, but was probably not full go wide open in preseason. So that's a tough one. Um, a name that I might watch would be Asani Redwood, though. Supposed to be good. They are missing three defensive linemen, at least with Zaki Lawton, Jalen Thornton, and Hammond Russell. And he has been dressed for both the games. Um, one on the road, one at home, has not played. And again, I don't know if this is something that they over-described, and he just isn't quite there yet, but they got everybody excited because now there's an expectation that he's good and he could play, and here's a defensive line that might need a couple snaps here and there. A guy who doesn't need a red shirt, right? Um, why isn't he playing? Don't know. But that might be one. Like We haven't mentioned him but that might be a guy that gets in there to see if he can push the people around and make some plays. Agreed. And I think the Redwood one is the <clears throat> one I'd be watching the closest just because outside of spells, just because, and Ben Wahad, of course, um, just because of one, what you just said, they talked him up. He's a big guy. They want to rotate in. And we saw a defensive line. I don't know if they, I guess you can say they took a step back uh, in the second game, but they were not, you know, dominant. I, I thought they were very good in the pit game going against one of the best offensive lines in the country. And they put pressure on pit. They held their own in the middle there. And then against Kansas, 
They just didn't. They were they were virtual non-factors. I mean, I'm trying to think of, you know, after the game, I said, how how often did we talk about a defensive back winning a one-on-one battle in the secondary? How many pass breakups? PFF gave two. I don't remember either of them. Um, but then you go back to the defensive line, and it's like, how how often was the defensive line in the backfield and causing problems? And now the first drive or two, they were. And first drive or two, Kansas didn't score. Um, but after that, I think the only guy I remember even being mentioned on the defensive line after those first couple drives was Sean Martin until the Austin penalty. So it's it's a spot that, you know, I'm not circling because, again, I was really high on it after the first game. I don't want to get too low on it after the second game. But if you're looking for more guys to get more reps and they talk repeatedly about wanting to have six, seven, eight, nine guys playing, Asani Redwood might be one of those guys. Chris, pro football focus, um, listen, it's not if everybody can take it or leave it. And I think offensive line ratings are probably the most um, controversial, Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, divisive. How about that when it comes to their rankings? Um, Pitt, pass blocking grade, 65. Run blocking grade, 119. 119? Kansas. 12 pass blocking, 31 run blocking. What? Yeah. Get out of here. No, serious. I don't, I, I, I'll be honest here. Like, I, I enjoy PFF. We use it for a lot. I think they're great 99% of the time. I wonder about the guy who did this game, the, the Kansas-West <laughs> Virginia game. I mean, they had JT Daniels with, like, his, his worst grade, I think, like, of his entire career. I mean, the guy was 70-some percent completion percentage, 360 yards, three touchdowns. And I think, you know, only had like a couple bad throws. Obviously, the one at the end was was crucial. But his worst game of his career was Saturday night? I'm not buying that. Come on. What was his grade? 59. It has been updated. Oh, is it? Yeah, he's 66.8 now. Okay. Yeah. So they've they've changed a few of these things. Uh, like for example, uh, wait a minute. No, no, that's the no, season no. grade. Yeah, that's I was the season say, grade. Looking at the same thing. No, because yeah, fifty nine point seven is what I see here. Yeah, that's the season grade. My bad. It has not been updated. So yeah. The, oh man, that's true. Yeah, tough one. Um, bookkeeping was kind of a mess in that game. Like they they just have some people who like they have Michael Lachlan not playing. Pretty yeah. sure Mike played. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, that might explain the Traylon Davis thing if Michael Lockham wasn't playing, but it doesn't because he did play. So, yeah, that one's a tough one. And typically, and you've, you've done this before, too, they rewatch those and reissue a grade. This seems like one that's going to get reissued, right? Yeah, every Tuesday they do what's called a rescout. They have a second scout, you know, somebody different, which is smart. You know, like, you know everybody kind of has different opinions on who, who did what and why and who's at fault. And so they are, there's always a rescout. And typically – the grades changed like a couple tenths, like nothing of note, really. There was one game, I can't remember it off the top of my head. I can go look at it. I'll link it on our message board um, last year, like week seven, week eight. And the grades tra- changed drastically on Tuesday with the rescout. I'm interested to see what the rescout looks like this week. I check it every week, and typically there's very little change, so I don't bother you know, doing a big thing about it except for that one time where they, they really changed it. And I'm interested to see just what changes this time around. Can't wait. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Final question. I think we spent about 30 minutes on Luke Zoolander questions here, but final part of it. Does WVU have the big donor support willing to fund a buyout or structured buyout of in Neil Brown and pay a new coach? Yes. The better. I mean, we, we talked about this when – they announced the extension. I think you can go back and find this Country Roads Confidential podcast if we were recording at the time. I think we were. Um, what You do not set that money unless you have the money, period. Like You're not setting that buyout unless you have somebody who is agreeable to that buyout. You're not having the contract unless you have somebody who can pay the contract, all that stuff. So I think whatever dollar figures, no matter how high they seem, the money will be there. Nice. It's a, it's a nice safety net. Uh, it sounds great for me to say that you you do the business so you can do the business, right? Um, again, what good does it do you to have a $5,000 a month mortgage when you can only afford $2,500, right? Mm-hmm. Got this awesome house. Check out my crib. I'm out of here in six months, right? It doesn't It doesn't work that way, and... Listen, you can get mad at me here if if the if the buyout is what's keeping Neil Brown around for some time here. I'm not saying he's gone tomorrow if not for the buyout. I do think that if this thing isn't so large and the talks are probably a lot more advanced yes. than they need to be or than they are right now, um, maybe they need to be too. I don't know, but if it's if it's half, you're probably having much more serious conversations because it's much easier to overcome. Um, but. Don't get mad at me <laughs> if I say that you don't do this contract unless you can actually execute the contract because that's that's kind of utopian. I would like to think that somebody said, hey, here's the contract we have, and it goes upstairs to Stuart Hall, and then it goes around to some money people or whatever, um, and they say, well, you know, that's a steep buyout, but you know what? Go ahead. We got you. If someone said that's a steep buyout, do not do it, and they still went ahead and did it, then there's a whole bunch of flaws, and don't get mad at your local sports writer, right? But I would think that you would – if, if you are an athletic department, you're functioning in a way that says we're going to put forth this contract that we can actually execute if we have to. Right. We're not going to paint ourselves into a corner with a bad coach or a bad program or whatever. Um, you know, and, and this is not the same, but you put clauses in where you can fire coaches for NCAA violations or anything like that. Like what makes them a, a, a fireable coach without having to pay him? Because you come to these forks in the road where you have to do something. And, well, we can't fire this guy because, you know, wait a minute, he broke NCAA rules. Yeah, we can't fire him. You don't have that written into your contract? Well, now you do, right? So, again, these contracts exist because when things happen, you just follow what the contract says. So my my point being here that if you do got to fire him, all that buyout is is what you agree to pay him. The can we, should we, will we, that should be taken care of already. Otherwise, it shouldn't be put in the contract and you shouldn't have signed it. And if in some time it becomes clear that they're not making a move because the number is too big, Chris, then you have to have some major conversations about the brain trust and, and the functionality here because one problem is creating another problem, and that's a problem. So I would think that you have a foresight as an administration or as an athletic department to not contract yourself into a corner. So that's just me saying that. Is that reality? We'll see. I do think that if the number wasn't so large, you'd have a lot more aggressive conversations right now. The number being what it is, it lets us go on a little bit further. I'm sure it it, it naturally instills some patience and maybe some uh, some more than people want to see right now. But that's just the reality of the situation. But I think it's in there because it's a number they can work with. It's a huge number, though. And how they get there, I'm not sure. We'll see. By the way, if they have to get there. Yeah. Great segue, by the way, because the next question was from Earsfan03. <clears throat> which I think touches on this and, and I had some thoughts related, but is it possible Lyons gets fired for the extension? How can he be trusted to replace Brown and potentially Huggins when he retires? And sorry to jump in here, but like first mm-hmm. let's, we need to think we need to separate the hiring and the extension because first of all, you know, the decision came down to Luke Fickle and Neil Brown for you can't say, oh, well, look, look, Luke Fickle made it to the college. It's different. He's, he was still at Cincinnati. You know, what if what if West Virginia hired Luke Fickle and, and Neil Brown stayed at Troy? Is Troy still winning 10 games a year? And Luke Fickle's going 6-6 six and six at West Virginia. Are you then saying Neil Brown should have been the better hire? 
We don't know. So forget that part of it. The point being, the hiring part of this, two excellent choices at the time. Like I think, and every single person I thought at the time, what a great hire. What a nice job, especially late in the game. Home run hire. It was universally approved of this hire and success however moderate seemed to indicate that it was the correct hire now separate that from the extension because even when the extension happened you and i again on this podcast had conversations about why why the extension why now why did you switch from would you say it was 75% guaranteed on the buyout to 100% guaranteed on the buyout? Mm-hmm. Was that necessary? Why is this? And so separate out the hiring part of this and the extension part of this. Because, hey, maybe you put Shane in charge of the hiring and then take the checkbook away when it comes to the extension part of it and let somebody else handle it. I'm not sure because I think he made the right hire. Again, at the time, it seemed like a great hire. A really great hire. And again, we're not not shoveling dirt on things. Maybe it still ends up working out. Somehow they go on a crazy run here, but it was the right hire at the right time. He had two great candidates at the end. So he obviously his list that he puts together is obviously a good list. Yep. Um had four years left. So it's not like he was again, Lions, I'm not even sure, agrees with the idea that you recruit against the years not left in your contract. That was something that was kind of an issue when he was negotiating with the previous staff. Maybe he's changed on that. I'm not sure. But Neil Brown had years left for they gave him two more. Um, the Rays, eh, probably the going market rate, I guess, for a coach who's going to be somewhere near what they expected. So that's OK. Some of the weird bonuses they put in there, incentives, uh, retention bonus, whatever, small potato stuff. I think what probably arched brows was the fact that he was um, 100% salary if he was hired fired the first two years. His initial contract, so 100% if he's fired after his first two years, 75% after three, four, and five. Um, and that was, and then again, if he's fired for the sixth year, the contract just expires. So when they gave him the extension, 100% for the first four years, 85 after the fifth. So a lot more money. Um, why? Don't know. Again, might have been the agent, might have been what Lions wants to do. I'm not sure. But I would say that Lions probably thought he was to some extent, getting a discount. Let's get it done early before our head coach has leverage and this number is higher. Let's get him in here before the next South Carolina or Auburn back-to-back rumor mill whips up and maybe gobbles up your coach and all of a sudden it's a weird month in recruiting, but he's still your coach because the buyout is... Actually, it's not hard for Brown to get out of the contracts. That's not even a good argument. Point being that Lions did it because he believed in his decision, thought he probably was getting a discount, and then the buyout... I just don't know, I guess. We'll see. But I just, I just don't think you do it unless you think you can get out of it. Again, it's a big number. It was a big number before. It just happens to be bigger now. Um, and those are great questions that probably may one day have to be answered. And again, as, as I do the math in my head, does it make a difference if the remainder of his buyout is, uh, what, $12 million instead of $16 Because that's, you know, 75% instead of the 16 you know, after this year. Is that is that what's going to make or break things for donors right now? That it's sixteen instead of twelve. Not sure, but now if you're if you're a donor though, you're, you're probably not happy about having to kick in something to add up the four extra million dollars though. Right. <laughs> I don't I don't think Lions would get fired for that or should he get fired for that because again the hire was was seemingly correct. Ultimately, maybe not, but you put them in different cases. You just do, um, and the fact of the matter is, ads can be wrong. They can. Um, similar to like, yeah, you hire a coach to, he's going to end up on the side of the road sometimes, but he, you're going to have to let him get out back in the middle. Uh, an AD is probably a similar to They're They're probably more problem solvers than coach ours in large regard. Um, looking through the rest of the questions here, uh, Seattle, Mike, if you are listening, excellent question. I think we're going to turn that into a, a separate story. Uh, really, really good question about, you know, the history and the strategy of hiring a, a power five level assistant or a group of five head coach and, and what that is. Uh, you know, he says he hasn't done the research. Well, you know what, either Mike or I will, and, and we'll take a look at it. Cause I'm interested in the answer as well. Don't want to, don't want to answer it. Um, 
without proper research. Mike, was there anything else in here that you definitively wanted to answer right here on the podcast? I, I, would, I would just try to let me just address this stuff here too. Talking about replacements for me is not comfortable right now. Yeah, I understand that's what fans want to do. Cool, man, do it. And I, I wouldn't even mind to chime in. Like, if hey, what do you think of so and so? Probably good coach. Probably bad coach. Yeah, he's from Charleston. Whatever. But I just, I just can't get myself to fire Neil Brown at the moment right now, too. And I, th- that's probably not going to be popular to a lot of people here. But I just know there's a ton of time left. My, my hunch here is that they're not going to do anything here. And then you have a game they're going to win on Saturday. A game that they probably should win, or at least I shouldn't say should win, but should expect to go down there and compete in a couple of days later against tech. I, I, I maintain that's going to be a challenge and that might be, is that a referendum on Brown? Maybe we'll see. But even then, if they're one and three or if they're zero and three, then he's done. Okay. Let me say that. Yes. <laughs> but if they're one and three, I just, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know that's going to happen in the middle of the season. Um, there are conversations that are going to have to happen. I would imagine, and we can have them, but me going out there and putting out my wish list or a hot board or the this or that or what's the candidate for a new coach, I'm sorry. It just feels difficult for me right now because I just I just don't believe they're going to do anything at the moment right now. And um, it seems like a strange conversation to have or to even hear me say that because they're 0-10 and lost to Kansas. But the fact is that like Pitt's a ranked team, was a ranked team. Kansas might be good. And all of a sudden, if they're 6-6 six six at the end of the season and Kansas is good and Pitt's there in the ACC again – it doesn't look so bad. And I just think that there's like a pragmatic element to this that decision makers are going to exercise. And that's that's just kind of like the the breadcrumbs I follow right now. Mike, are you trying to say that a message board shouldn't dictate what a school does? I mean, except it does sometimes. So probably be it for me to say that. There's some really good questions in there too. Like, I mean, yeah, some stuff about like, hey, what's the quality of the next head coach? You know personality recruiting motivation you know ceo or, or coordinator group of five power five those are really cool conversations um it's just difficult for me to do a whole lot on that right now because we're not there yet for me i understand why they exist i probably just can't shape them and construct them and and contribute to them like people want me to i don't blame you i think that it, it it's going to be interesting these next couple of weeks because i think again Towson. The only way it tells you anything or dictates what's going to happen is if West Virginia loses, which I mean, hey, if West Virginia loses against Towson, you'll have you'll have a um, a coaching hot board up by midnight. Yeah. <laughs> OK. Yeah. I promise. I promise you guys. Um, now, one in three with a tech loss. It, you, it, it the, the seat will heat and um, we'll be watching it. But again, it, it, it's still so early in the season, like you said. What if Pitt's in the ACC championship again? What if Kansas ends up as like a 500 team, a bowl team? It, you know, I think it's just the fact that you're saying they lost to Kansas. That's enough to 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 drive some issues. And, and I mean, I don't blame anybody for being upset about it. I mean, no. It was a ridiculous loss. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But what if Kansas ends up being decent? What if Pitt ends up being great? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, then I- West Virginia, you know, and then West Virginia wins six of their next eight and they're sitting at six and four, like then things are okay. And, yeah. and you're taking the next step. So we'll see. The other part about this is too, is that like, if you look at the surroundings and I wrote about this yesterday too, a lot of big 12 teams have changed coaches since Neil Brown was here. Same year, same off season or, or since then. Um, find me one that's not in a better situation right now. Serious. Like Kansas state better, right? Yep. Looking good. Baylor. Mm-hmm. Okay. TCU? Yeah. Maybe. Texas yeah. Tech? Yeah. But like they're both yeah. 2 0. And Texas Tech just beat Houston. And and it's like the happiest program, not named Georgia, probably right now. Uh, TCU won an identity, got their offense, did it. Uh, Baylor won the Big 12. Kansas State um, fits, right? Like there's just a lot of things that you look around at the other schools that have made changes and you're like, this worked. Why hasn't worked here? I think that is something that you might measure Brown against the rest of the year. Like, wait a minute, these these coaches who've been hired in the Big Twelve since are doing better. How? Why? You know, harder job, parallel job, and then you could say it's not working here, but it can work somewhere else. It has worked somewhere else. That becomes an issue for sure. And again, like you can you can argue with anybody. Um, oh, he had a bare cupboard. Oh, he had a tough transition. Maybe that's true. 
not unique. Not unique. If you look at situations like at Kansas, right? Where's it harder than Kansas? Right. And they seem like they're doing pretty good. So again, you can you can stumble, can't stay on the ground. So like these next couple of weeks, those are certainly uh, proving ground games for Brown, his program, and his tenure. Well, Mike, we aimed for thirty, and are currently uh, an hour. Yeah. That's true. Important time, though. Typical. Yep. Well, I am. Uh, I am. We might have to hop here because I am currently talking with Robbie Martin, top in-state prospect for West Virginia, who was at the game. And I know people are going to think, "Oh man, this was bad for recruiting." Guy still had a good time. Um, just this. Just a general reminder, and we'll end on a high note here. These recruits. They look at the big picture, one single game. I mean, again, they're going to look at the big picture about coaching staff, who's going to be here, when, job security. They think about that stuff, so that's going to be a factor moving forward. But there were some recruits, some important recruits that were on campus on Saturday night, and they witnessed that loss. I have yet to have one tell me, well, West Virginia sucks. I hated it. Okay? Yeah, they might not say that. (laughs) Some of them actually would. But – most of them enjoy the environment. They saw good things on offense. They want to see something out of the defense. And they still are very interested in WVU. So don't write everything off yet, especially with recruiting. Um, good things coming there, I think. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about the recruiting element here. <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting because that was another question that was in there that I think was worthy of us answering here on the pod. All your questions are worth us answering. Sorry. Um, but – that recruiting question was a good one because it's it, it's going to get weird. It's going to get very weird. And again, this is not something that we've had to deal with before. Um, yeah. Other schools have. Again, the only the only coaching change that has happened in the last twelve years happened after signing day on New Year's Eve and was over in four days. Um, so there was only like two recruits that were kind of up in the air. Um, the coaching changes before that again it was Bill Stewart, but Dana Holgerson had already brought, been brought in as head coach and waiting the one before that was um after signing day again when when or close not after signing day but close to signing day when rich rod left and bill stewart was able to step in and and kind of keep things together and that was almost kind of pre focus i mean that was pre me doing this and and pre but recruiting being so important or being such a thing online so this is going to be new territory and it's going to get weird but so just be prepared for that yeah be prepared uh rations for your shelter Coaching searches are not fun. No. But we're not there yet. Plenty of football up to play. Plenty of podcasts to discuss this topic. I'm sure we'll be here in depth and detail if and when it does happen. My name is Mike Casaza. I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.